Hello and happy Thursday. How are you? I'm Bob Krell, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. Welcome to the Healthy Indoors Live Show. Um, today's special show, uh, we had the opportunity to catch up with Charlie Wiles. He's the founder of the uh, ACAC, and I uh, have a great discussion. He's you know, had a, a really long career in the industry um, and seen more than a lot of us, to be honest. And uh, just, I'm just really looking forward to this conversation. So uh, we'll be going after that after a brief word from our sponsor. Hey, Charlie. How are you? Hey, Bob. How are you? So, I'm, I'm doing well. You know, it's been it's been a while. We 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 uh, converse via email once in a while, but you know, we used to see each other all the time. Yes, I know, I enjoy, you know? I, and I like that part of it. I did too. You know, it's like I you, you're you're actually one of my favorite people in the industry. You know, it's too bad we we're on two sides of the country, and I never yeah. get out west that much anymore. But, and I don't get back east. I get it. And, I get it. Well, you, you I like quit, to, I quit flying. So we did that a while fun. ago. You used to yeah. used to drive years ago to conferences to the east coast. Yeah, yeah. I, I was always. Uh, it, you know, intrigued by how, you know, you would come across country, you and Carolyn would get in the car and, and drive all the way to an event. Yeah, maybe part of that's because I used to be a consultant for one of the airlines. Ah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 Well, you know, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. We got, we have some airline, we've got some flight stories we'll get into a little bit later. So, um, okay. so, so I, I've got to say when we first met, um, it was a long time ago. I think the first time we met in person was, and I may have the year wrong, 92 or 93, it was at EPA's Train the Trainer for the Building Air Quality Manual. And it was and, and I know it was in the D.C. area. It might have been in Alexandria or Crystal City. I can't remember where it was at some function room. It's like a two-day event or three-day event. And a long time ago. And I remember we were just, you know, we were in the audience because I think there was a bunch of us that were invited as people that did training. Um, and, and it was like a who's who crowd because we had, yeah. you had uh, Bill Turner and Terry Brennan and Richard Shaughnessy teaching it up front. Yes. Right. And then, but yeah. the, the audience was like, you know, and I, I, I feel like now I'm being, uh, you know, kind of presumptuous to say that I'm one of the who's who, but, it, but, you know, you, you ended up being a really, uh, you know, eminent person in the industry, but yeah, like Bud Offerman was out in there and I, you know, thinking about the crowd was all these people that I had never met in person prior to that or most of them who all really went on to be you know fairly prominent in the industry what an interesting group that was it was i think it was crystal city i think it was 92 if I remember right uh, okay. I, I'll, I'll trust you on this one because yeah. i'm not sure but i knew it was you know in that area i remember vividly barbara spark was sitting right over my shoulder and uh she commented a lot which was fine uh but yeah it was an interesting program uh Boy, the early days of uh, IEQ was um, interesting. Yeah, it was kind of like it was kind of the Wild West then, right? <sighs> Pretty much so. <laughs> you think? <laughs> well, so, so I guess I guess my leadoff here is going to be, uh, you know, to ask you, how did you get started in the indoor environmental indoor air quality business? You know, you, you know, what path led you to even go down this path? I I developed a. Uh, uh, a piece of equipment, a one-ton truck with uh, uh, a diesel-driven uh, engine and uh, uh, high-powered pumps on it. Uh, we had uh, 
two five thousands and one ten thousand pump. No, I'm telling you wrong. We had two two thousand and one five thousand pump on it, and we we had seen a need and was trying to fill the niche of uh, of cleaning uh, air conditioners uh, on the commercial and industrial and institutional uh, side of the world, and uh, and that was going along really well, and that was back in the yeah, early, early, early 70s. And then one day I got a call and they said, uh, we need your help. And I said, what do you need? And they said, well, George was the project engineer that set up this whole HVAC system and the plant uh, for taking care of a, of a hospital. And they had hired George afterwards and George quit. And now they had no clue of what fed what, where it went, how it worked. I mean, they just literally was beside themselves because this hospital was under turmoil. And I said, okay, well, here I come. And and so we went in and we tried to basically assist them in, in doing what they needed to do to satisfy the hospital's needs on, uh, on, on the HVAC site. And so that kind of got me started into the air quality side, because as we're investigating what had happened, we also are finding they should have done this and they should have done that. And, uh, and obviously they, uh, they didn't commission, no one commissioned it. So uh, that kind of started. And uh, from there, it just kind of snowballed and we ended up uh, basically doing literally all the hospitals in Arizona, uh, almost all the high rises in Arizona, because uh, we had equipment that could be on the street and we could drag hose up 20 stories, literally, and do an air handler that cleaning it that no one else could do at, at these very specific pressures where we could adjust everything as we went. And so it kind of got started from the standpoint of, of uh, cleaning uh, coils, and as everyone knows, Arizona is very hot, so they, they need air conditioning. Right, yeah, uh, coils, so, coils are pretty yeah. important. Yeah, so that, that's kind of where it, it took off. And then from there, it, it got deeper and deeper into the IQ side. And I ended up selling off the, the uh, coil cleaning part of the business and said, okay, well, let's, uh, let's just do indoor quality. You know, what's, what's interesting is, you know, we both kind of started an HVAC system cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that was my entry point too in, in 86, getting into air duct cleaning. Um, so we were doing coil cleaning. We, and I got involved with the company when I first started. I was hired to start the air duct cleaning division. Same thing, you know. And because if you think about it, right, you know, it's not that it's not that surprising that we were both started in the mechanical side. Yeah. Mechanical yeah. is kind of important. Oh, very important, you know. And, uh, but, so, but in your like in your career path, did you uh, your plan was never to be an indoor air quality consultant? I'm sure, right? No, no, it just evolved. Uh, I had a, a a period where I had some health problems, and uh, they involved uh, nervous system, uh, and so I uh, I started studying more and more, and. Uh, of course, this is about the time that uh, sick building syndrome was starting. And uh, God bless the media uh, in this particular case, because they basically drove the entry of indoor quality uh, 
to where it is today, meaning everyone was uh, setting their thermostats at a certain rate in the government buildings, uh, which I at one time had the contract for all government buildings in the in Arizona, uh, all state buildings and a lot of county buildings come to think of it. And and so here again, you know, you're you're back to if the if the HVAC system isn't doing what it should be doing, you're going to have an indoor air quality problem. Yeah, no question about it. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I guess it is media driven when you think about it. I mean, the, oh, yeah. there's always there's always been a concern about the indoor environment. I mean, right from back when you know man was in caves with fires and smoke, you know, coming up with ways to ventilate. The, usually the fire pit smoke out, out of the living quarters. Um, but yeah, and it's, there, it's, and there was a period there where it was required by law. And this is back in the days of Kings and Queens that all windows had to be 10 foot tall and they had to be 10 foot tall because they needed that ventilation uh, for the, the fires that they were creating inside. Right. Cause they had fireplaces in, in, in the Northern climates, fireplaces in every room, yep. you know, pretty much had to. Yep. Or at least people with uh, affluent people did. Right. Non-affluent people probably had one fire. Cuddled <laughs> 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 around and sh no. shiver. So, so I, I mean, this, this is interesting. And I know, uh, you know, we can talk uh, a little bit later on, you know, some specific projects you've done over the years that, you know, that are, you know, you remember as interesting or, you know, that really stand out. But you, you went down the path of starting uh, a membership organization. And, I, and again, I don't know what year you started that, so I'm going to have to ask the American Indoor Air Quality Council. Uh, and and was, that, was that originally just a regional organization, or was it always intended to be a, a national? Um, I attended an EPA meeting uh, that uh, Barbara Spark at the EPA had put together. She was in Region 9 as the IAQ coordinator there. And... Uh, I caught her for lunch and I belly ached the fact that uh, there's just nothing out there that addressed indoor quality and there should be more stuff there. I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I want to know about this and I want to know about that and why is this happening and et cetera. And they're just, you know, they just weren't doing anything except putting on a program here and there. And, uh, and I vividly remember there's only one other guy that was in there that was in the private sector. And so uh, I uh, got her corralled for lunch and said, we need to do something, you know, meaning you. And, and she goes, well, what would you do? And I said, well, start getting information out to people. I mean, how are you going to do this? I mean, uh, and she goes, well, why don't you do it? And I said, okay. And, and so with that, we tried to start a membership body and we called it the Arizona Indoor Air Quality Council. Uh, and the first, and, and she announced it there at that meeting. And uh, uh, the first meeting we had, I think there was 26 government employees there and two of us that were private. And the same guy that was at the previous one. And the first thing they needed was a, a mission. And so we spent the entire meeting coming up with a mission. And, um, and then the next meeting we had the next month, we, and about half the government people showed up for that one. We needed uh, something else. What else is uh, important? Uh, anyway, we had to have another 
thing and that took the entire meeting and then the third one we had like three people showed up and it's like this is not going anywhere yeah this is doesn't sound like it's going in a forward uh, fashion you know and and i didn't want government employees necessarily being uh, mm-hmm. you know in, in the membership program and so mm-hmm. basically i told the people that were the few people that were there i'll call you uh and about november i don't know second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever it was, I called and said, here's, here's the meeting date, here's the time, and here's what we're going to do. And from there, it rolled. And uh, uh, I don't know what to tell you. It was the Arizona Indoor Air Quality mm-hmm. Council. But What year did point, you start? The, what year was it formed as the that, Arizona Indoor Air Quality Council? That was 92. Okay. In so fact, that was really around the time we met. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. And... Uh, well, we're coming up on our 30th anniversary in this November. So there's a little longevity now. That, that's good. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So we quickly realized that uh, we were getting feedback on this new membership thing and, and people were really interested and they were coming from everywhere. And so we quickly realized uh, the Arizona Indoor Quality Council needs to become the American Indoor Quality Council. And so we changed the name to American and then the membership exploded even more. And, uh, and we, we sent out a, a monthly newsletter and, and we started chapters and, uh, um, and then that, that's about where that went until we come to realize that uh, there's IQA, uh, there's IESO and, uh, and we were bumping heads uh, in in such a way as we were we were trying to get the same people to join the membership roles. Uh, we were up to like three thousand members, if I remember right, somewhere in that area. Uh, when uh, the three organizations uh, we got together and said, "What? Why are we competing for the?" the same person doing the same thing. And, and so what would be smarter, we think would be a division of labor. And so it was, it was quickly decided because one person, uh, it was Glenn Pellman, uh, looked at me and he says, well, you do certifications better than anybody else. So why don't you do the certifications and IESO can do standards and IQA would do membership. And with that, we all kind of looked at each other and said, well, why don't we? And so that's basically uh, that's basically how things got split out and, and moving on. There was a lot of misinformation, obviously, about it. There was, you know, a lot of information, you know, that people thought we were still all in the same uh, pot now when really we were very, very different. I mean, it was a division of labor. You do this, we'll do that. Right, you de- definitely split the duties. I mean, there was, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Well, you were no longer you 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 when you, you the AMIQ became ACAC, you, you no longer were a member organization. You totally got out of the member organization. We, or well, we looked, yeah, yeah. Right. If we're going to be certifications, then we need to be just certifications. And so this this occurred uh, about the middle of two thousand five, uh, and well, actually, I guess it started spring of two thousand five. And by the end of 2005, we were we were done with it and legally did the paperwork that said, you do this, we'll do that. 
uh, type of thing. And so December 31st was the last day that the American Indoor Quality Council was a membership body. In the agreement, which I'm not sure people understood the agreement, uh, in the agreement, the, the work that had been done on standards was given to I, IESO. The, all the members that held certifications with IAQA was given to, at that time, the American Indoor Quality Council. And all of our chapters, we had 48 chapters at that point. All of our chapters were then given to IAQA for them to, to take over. And so that was the, the clear division was, you take this part that we had, we'll take this part that you had. One of the things that, that uh, was happening at that particular time was uh, I was pretty much irritated and disappointed that the certification programs that were were out there uh, just weren't valid enough, I guess. Well, there were a lot. I mean, at that point, it was yeah. there was this whole just surge, especially with yeah. a lot of the mold-related stuff, because everybody was yeah. really trying to capitalize on the mold training. Mold, mold was gold. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's when we decided, uh, and I brought Adam Andrews in, in uh, 2005, the end of 2005. And that's when we decided at that particular point, you know, we need to change our name. If we're going to be a certified body, we need to have a name that represents a certifying body. And so that's where uh, the ACAC name came from. Um, and um, at the same time, we decided that we need to make the certifications have value and and so we were looking for integrity and 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 to have a program that people would recognize as, as having value mm -hmm. so that's kind of where the path went uh there was a lot of conflict uh going on because people didn't understand this division of labor and uh they either thought or were told something to the fact that you know what well, we really all are all together in this in this pot. Well, no, not really, no. And, and so there was some uh, um, dissension among others uh, in the uh, IQA membership side of the thing that really thought that you know certification and membership went together. Right. And I vividly remember at that particular time that there was some talk about. Uh, memberships and certification should be separate from the standpoint that there's a, uh, uh, what's the words I want here? Uh, they, uh, there's an antitrust issue that could be brought up. And, uh, and so, uh, at that particular time, I think, uh, IQA and, and ACAC, which we had now just changed the name, uh, had looked at this thing and said, you know, uh, there, there are some antitrust laws that, uh, that could be construed uh, as being uh, questionable because a certification body and a membership body should not be one in the same. Well, the problem with that is because that if the certification becomes a de facto, uh, you know, uh, barrier or entry point to employment and, and work, 
you are you are really regulating commerce. Yes. And, and as yes. a membership organization, you're not supposed to do that. That's right. Yeah. And so uh, um, that's kind of where we went with the thing. And um, <laughs> no, I mean that's so, that, that's, a, that's a great history of it. Uh, it. Uh, Frankly, I think the antitrust laws scared some people that uh, were in the uh, uh, controlling background of the organizations. Mm -hmm. And I know it certainly bothered me. Uh, so. Well, it should. It should. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, we, so we broached that. Yeah, I'm going to say we broached that in NADCA in like 90 or 91 <clears throat> when people wanted to make – I wouldn't even get into it because – but but there was – we actually brought in an antitrust lawyer in D.C. to go over this and really explain how the FTC and all this stuff works. And, you know, you can't just – because you want to do this, you can't do this. You know, yep. You're opening yourself up to some serious litigation. Yes. So um, – so the name change, the the programs, and et cetera, uh, they they went uh, they went towards the area of let's let's make this a a certification program that's got value to it, and uh, and so no no training, uh, don't endorse products. Uh, I mean, we became literally a. I, I hate the word to use. I hate to use the word, but we really became a clean. Uh, sorry about that. I moved the mouse. Uh, we really became a, a just a, a clean business of doing certifications only. And the industry is fraught with organizations, especially online, you know, certifications where you know it. It is a member body that does the training and and gives you the cert certificate. And it's like you know, and to me, that's a certificate mill. That's not. You know, it's not really, there's not That's a lot of basic it behind it. But what's interesting though is, but as, as the American Indoor Air Quality Council, one of the reasons that I think that set, maybe set up this, this, it, you know, I'm going to say merger, but it wasn't a merger. It was, right. it was uh, actually a, a, a division, if, you know, per se, but, it, but, it, but it was always called a merger. Maybe that's part of the confusion because the, the, the term, well, the merger term was said a lot. I used to hear that. Yeah. The merged. merger term. Yeah. The merger term came from a few people that wanted to spin it uh, to look like that. Uh, uh, numbers yeah yeah they they did this this well there were a lot together. there were yeah. certain you know when that whole thing happened certain numbers on the membership side looked pretty large yeah yeah i remember uh yeah iqa gave us uh real close to five thousand certifications uh and when we took over and started making them uh uh more stringent as far as you got to have CEUs and, and et cetera. Uh, we lost a bunch of them. I mean, we probably lost half. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, within a year, we probably lost half. That's okay. And frankly, we looked at it and said, okay, here's our choices. You know, well, you, if you're going to make it tough for them to do, you're going to lose some. And if you, if you don't want to make it tough, well, then we don't have value. So that's uh, that's pretty much the story on that part of it. Well, so you, so I want to step back just a bit because with the American Indoor Air Quality Council, you started to, you know, your organization started doing certifications, and I know you were offering uh, a a AEE, triple AE, so it was AEE's uh, Certified Indoor Air Quality Professional. So that was something that, that was it was a, explain how that worked because that really wasn't your program, but you offered it. 
Uh, the organization. I yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That maybe okay. Yeah. Because it was and still I, through yeah. them. You got yeah. You got the yeah. certification yeah. for me. I, yeah. I taught it, and then I quickly went to them uh, after realizing that it was a professional, called a professional, mm-hmm. and we needed a a lesser one, meaning a, an entry level. And so we we also did the certified indoor quality. I mean, I'm sorry. We also did the technician. Right. So the CIQT, the, te- right. the technician okay. side. Yeah. Uh, and and then it wasn't long after that we decided that, uh, frankly, AEE was putting some uh, uh, stipulations on what we could do and what we couldn't do. And for an example, one of them that I absolutely abhorred was they, I was, as, a, as an instructor for that program, I had to hit every topic that was going to be questioned. And so if there was a question, I had to put it into the program on. So, you know, so basically specifically, you had to teach yeah. every single question. Basically, yeah. you talked to, so, talk to the exam specifically. You talk, you talk to the exam and we I've never liked that. I mean, no. let's face it. You know, if, if you're if you know the business, you know the business and there is no need to teach to the exam. So, uh, I mean, I know that. The EPA says that you can do the asbestos stuff and you teach to the exam, basically. And if you mm-hmm. don't make it, we'll pull you aside here. We'll, we'll give you a little self-tutoring here to get you through the thing. And it's the same thing every refresher you know, course that you take. And they can call it a certification. Or, or, well, they, or licensure. You know, I mean, or state licensure. licensure. I'm not. I'll pick on New York because I was a, a, a asbestos contractor supervisor, and and we did the four day class or five day class. I think it was five day class then, and the half or no, actually an hour or so before we took the exam, they went over the entire. The instructor yeah. stood up there with the exam in his hand, doing the review, yeah. reading the questions. Yeah, yeah. I remember this. That? Yeah, and and then this, by the way, wink, wink, and so yeah, uh, I had a real problem with it. And so yeah. today, if you take an ACAC exam, you need to know that the instructors for the exam are not our instructors. They do not have the questions. They do not have the answers. They don't even have the distractors. Uh, what we give you online uh, when you are in, in our website is what the instructor will get, nothing more. And so they really can't teach to the exam now. Which I think is a lot better because th- that <laughs> that drives you to actually be teaching, the, you know, a real curriculum. Yes. You know, and actually, te- you know, and quite frankly, you know, it, it's incumbent on your organization to write good questions, right? And go through, you know, good, good reviewing, having, you know, fair distractors and actually making it a fair exam, you know, and based on what core requisite knowledge should be. And... That is the way we operate, which, by the way, is we were we were involved with uh, CESB uh, back in 2005. And that led us to be where we are today because we literally follow the CESB and we're accredited by CESB. Uh, so and, and that's the only organization, by the way, that accredits us. Uh, at this particular time, and it is an engineer-related accreditation. 
And, but, and prior to that, you still were doing board certified because, you know, yes. I got involved yeah. with, with your organization, yes. with your organization back in 2000. When I came over and we worked on the original certified microbial remediation supervisor program. Yes. That, and that was, yes. and that was the American indoor air quality council's first mold specific. Yes. Thing. Yes. Well, it, it, yeah. it was, but it still was board certified. And I remember what, what made it interesting is you, you had to have, there was prerequisites involved. It wasn't easy. No. And, and, and probably everyone should know that the board certification program means that the board members, your peers, are going to be looking at your score. They're going to be looking at projects that you've done in the past. And, and with that, they're going to make a decision and it has to be a unanimous decision among the board members that are present at that particular meeting. And I'm not sure, I think we have 10 boards now, something like that, that cover the different certifications. And so it's not a, uh, it's it's not an easy thing. In fact, putting the boards together and getting them all scheduled in to attend the board meeting to look over your application, your projects, your scores, uh, it, that's, that's a tough job all by itself. So it, it's not management saying, oh, yeah, they paid. Go ahead. Give it to them. But, but that also, you know, and, and I can see where that that process doing that sort of process raised that possibility of an ftc thing if you were a membership organization because now yes. you're making subjective decisions yes you know and you say you are you, you know so i mean clearly the liability if it was a member organization ugh, you know that's you're making that subjective really you're making subjective decisions on a on a subjective subject <laughs> Well, yeah, we can get into that. It's like, yeah, there's a what's definitive on any of this stuff. Um, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Um, so, I mean, it's fascinating. But you, uh, so you know, since 2005 is is real. You know, is when you, ACAC was born, and uh, you. But you at that point, I, I can't remember how many certifications you offered, but the, you have quite a few more now, right? And we. We're going to have Adam Andrews, uh, your current executive director, up on another show. So we'll get into that specifically. But let it suffice to say that there, there's been a lot of uh, movement into multiple verticals by your certifying body. Correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I should probably explain that certifications basically are, are tiered. Uh, there's, there's three. So you have a professional that requires eight years of experience. You have a technician one, uh, then you have a, another one that is only a two-year experience, and then you have a technician one, which really is the entry level, and it does not require experience. Uh, and, but people, by their very nature, as they as they become more professional, will uh, will want to go up to the next level because it's it's more worthy to to hold and to and to market. It makes sense. I mean, it makes total sense. And, and really, that's, I mean, that's almost the progression that, you know, the skilled trades did over the years, the whole, you know, apprentice, journeyman. I mean, it, you know, it really is yeah. following, right, a, a similar pathway. Right. And they, and they are very, for the, for the most part, they're very specialized certifications. And so mm -hmm. I guess you can take that from the fact that, you know, if you're a doctor, uh, you're, you're being referred to another one who's a specialist, who's referring right. you to another one. That's a, mm. you know, that's a specialist. So, uh, we, I think we have one guy that's probably got, if he doesn't have all the upper tier, he has almost all the upper tier certifications that we have. Uh, and he markets himself that way. You know, I, I hold this, 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 and this. 
They all have value. I know when I used to do uh, investigations myself before I, I quit, uh, which was also in 2005. Ah, okay. uh, yeah, I, I, I quit doing investigative work in 2005. Uh, I sold the business off and uh, uh, just just stayed with doing things for the council. Uh, I, uh, where was I on that? Uh, <laughs> I lost my train of thought. You know what? And I did too. I, you know, we're, we're, both, we're, we're both getting older, buddy. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. Um, there, there was a good point there. You know, I, I guess when we review the uh, recording, we'll know this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fine. Um, well, well, you know, but, but what you did allude to, which is interesting, you know, is like, so you, you were actively involved in the oh, industry yeah. as an indoor environmental consultant. I mean, you were a contractor, but then you you progressed into being coming a consultant and uh you know prior, prior to 2005 you you worked a lot in the southwest consulting work right and so are, are there we, we oh. were all the way from maine to hawaii okay so you worked uh, everywhere so i i flew a lot back in those days and uh well that was the nature of the industry then early yeah. on especially yeah. like in the late 90s there weren't that many of us in the, no. in the consulting, you know, we kind of crisscrossed the country all over the place. I joked, in a way it wasn't a joke, I joked that people couldn't tell me what I did wrong in doing an investigation because there was no standards. There was nobody out there that set a guideline that says you've got to do this and you got to do that. And so, you know, basically we flew by the seat of our pants and doing the investigations and you mm -hmm. went out there and you did the best you could and, and you developed a hypothesis and then you, you tested it and and that's how you do it. I mean, uh, beyond, yeah, beyond like the microbial stuff, you did have the AIHA field guide. I think that came out in 95. Mm -hmm. So that was specific on actual microbiological sampling protocols. Yes. But but the recommendations were never followed because, you know, they wanted triplicates of everything. Yep. No, nobody, who, it, you know, what client is going to pay you to take three, you know, impactor samples side by side simultaneously? They're not yeah. for, the, you know, for the same sample. Yeah, and especially if you're getting back to the individual on a residential stuff, which, by the way, I just I just didn't do residential. I, I only did the, the commercial and institutional stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, you you were you were limited by the dollar, and uh, and by your general knowledge. So, and yeah, I mean, you you were so. What year did you start? Uh, you know what you would consider the consulting work because I know you were starting in the '70s with the technology you're doing for the coil cleaning, but you know. And I know maybe there's not a there's not a definitive date, right? It kind of just is a trend. Yeah, somewhere right. in about seventy three or give or take a year, uh, wow. I was called. I was called into one of the hospitals, and they had a uh, an indoor air quality problem that they were beside themselves. They didn't know what was going on. They had the death of a preemie, and uh, and so that was probably the first memorable one that we did that that ended up where we we found cause and and we got it corrected uh and and then from there it was just lots and lots of other stuff and i don't know i've i've done uh i've done the uh the areas where they they store the the uh marijuana in the sheriff's department and you know, I've been in DNA and there's in their stuff and I I I used to do the county morgue I mean it's just 
it just went on, you know, for formland basically. Sure, sure. And it, it just went on and on and on. Uh, and it just kept being more and more. In fact, I got to the place where I, I was wore out. I was absolutely wore out. Uh, I couldn't go any further uh, in my mind. And um, mm-hmm. um, I had the candles burning at 3 a.m. Oh, sure. I mean, you're starting an organization. Yeah. You're yeah. You know, doing this other stuff. And, and you were still doing the contracting it. at that point, too, still, right? I was doing the contracting. Yeah, yeah, the, uh... And I was getting like 400 emails a day uh, from members, you know, that I had to deal with. And uh, yeah, the... and so we started hiring people back in, in the uh, – I'm trying to think when. I, I guess we started hiring back around 2000. Uh, one of the interesting things is, is Adam Andrews is our most junior employee. Really? He's been with it. He's been with us seventeen been, years. Yeah, that's a he, long time. He's been with us seventeen years. Phyllis has been with us, I think, about twenty-three years. Tracy's been with us about twenty-two years, and Julie's been with us. Well, Julie's worked off and on with me for decades, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and Connie, who is uh, hearing impaired, and she calls herself uh, the web mistress. If you've dealt with Connie, okay. uh, uh, she's been with us, I think, since two thousand or something like that. Uh, so we've got the same staff, uh, literally for the almost two decades. Uh, you know, depending on whether you call Adam at seventeen and seventeen years, and Phyllis at twenty-two, or maybe it's twenty-three years now. That's a long know. time. I, I mean, long I, time. in fact, it's it would be very it's a very unusual, right? And in, in today's mm-hmm. workforce, people don't stay in the same organization that long, typically. I mean, all- other maybe like owners, entrepreneurs. Yeah, when you own your company. I've been, you know, I had my company for thirty-three years now, but I'm not working well, for somebody else. When when we took this certification uh, boxes and boxes of certifications over from uh, IAQA, we quickly realized the the only way we're going to do this. I think we had forty-four four drawer filing cabinets full. And we looked at this and went, oh, my God, we got to do something. I mean, we, you know, pretty soon there won't be room for people. Uh, There'll just be files and files. And so we started putting everything up in the cloud. And uh, it took uh, it took the staff and one person I hired specifically just to do that. Almost three years to get everything digitized. Uh, And then we come along with, I think it was like, 2000 and I don't know, eight, 10, somewhere in there, uh, we started realizing that uh, the way to really go is go from home. And so let's go virtual. Man, that was a trip because there was nobody out there doing virtual stuff. And everything that you wanted to do from workers comp on was what's your physical address. Right. Well, it's it's not a business address. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the girls, uh, extra rooms that they have that they've set up as an office and they're all working from home now. And that, that was kind of a cutting edge thing. Well, it wasn't kind of, it was a cutting edge thing. And we, and there were no programs in those days where you had a membership program and, and it did everything for you. We ended up having to have this program that did this, this program that did Mm -hmm. this, et cetera, et cetera. So it was, a Fun and trying all at the same time. I get that. You know, having, and it's a double-edged sword, right? The work at home thing. Um, 
because it's not for everyone. It really, you know, for some people that, you know, that, that, that telecommuting is, uh, you know, is challenging. I mean, obviously now in 2022, you know, in the last two years, it's become very commonplace, obviously, you know, with with the pandemic, but um, prior to, yeah, I mean, and and we did that with Healthy Indoors since the beginning. We don't, I mean, we have a physical address at my property where our studio Mm -hmm. is located in Syracuse, but my, our entire staff is in different states and we never see each other in person or rarely, you know, hardly ever. Well, we have Monday morning meetings and everybody in the staff gets together. And at one time I made a stupid remark. I said, why don't we all turn our cameras on so we can see each other? And I have never seen women so frustrated so fast. It's like, oh. are you kidding? No way. I'm, no. I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> so. You know, that. well, that that's, yeah. That, I mean, that, that is, that's one of the downsides of that. Uh, yeah. No, no but doubt. it's also, it's also one of the perks for them. There you yeah, go. there you go. There you yeah. go. So, so we don't use cameras. Okay. And location-wise, we were in uh, Washington, Arizona, and Indiana. Okay, they're spread out pretty well too. Um, I I wanted to like you know maybe just you know briefly discuss a couple of your standout projects. You know, when I say standout, think I, I'm gonna I'm gonna name the one that we work together on. So you know, for our audience here. Uh, I had done a lot in the HVAC uh, duct cleaning industry, and Charlie got me uh, in as a consultant for a project he was on down in Yuma, Arizona. And, you know, and I'm looking at a map back then. This was in 2000, maybe 2001. I don't know. It was right, right in that vicinity. Might have been 2001. It was after we were already working together on the uh, on the certification. But I remember looking at a map going, that's almost the furthest point you can go in the United States from where I am. Not quite if I was in Bangor, Maine, maybe, but I mean, it was, it was quite a ways away. And so, and I remember, got to say this, we, we get there meeting you at, so I'm flying from Syracuse because we, I had to be there the next day, fly out US here to Sky Harbor and uh, Phoenix. And we're going to take a private flight down, down to uh, Yuma. (laughs) And I'm really excited about that. Something, Hey, I'm going to get to fly in a Learjet or something. This is really cool. I've never flown in a you know private like really cool aircraft and i remember we're walking out and and that area of sky harbor on 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 the private uh aircraft side and i'm looking at this ugly looking you know uh single engine green aircraft and looked like something from the 1960s and i think it was right or 70s vintage and i'm i'm thinking to myself look at that thing it's like so we're so where's the jet we're flying on charlie and you started Mm -hmm. laughing it's like (laughs) yep three seater it was 173 (laughs) so yeah so the so the so the follow the follow-up on that is on the way flying back that that evening and that was like a 36 hour day for me because i like never slept except falling asleep a little bit on the plane but coming back flying out of yuma i'm i'm in the passenger seat started started drift off a little as we're uh climbing out and we're at about five thousand feet and i'm leaning against the door and my door opens Mm-hmm. In the middle of the night, and this guy's in the back of the aircraft whistling Buddy Holly songs. <laughs> it's like, and, and you know, so when the pilot, you know, comes on and tells you, please, you know, keep your seatbelts fastened. In this case, yeah, it was probably a pretty good idea. Yeah. I was wearing a seatbelt because I was hanging partway out of the aircraft for a couple seconds. <laughs> that will wake your ass up. <laughs> it will wake you up. And you did wake up. I was Very like, ah, cool. and you're laughing. I like, yes, was, I was. It was the best. It was the best. <laughs> yes, I was. You had That's a follow-up cool. flying on that same aircraft because you were commuting there on a weekly basis, right? Yeah, I was having to go down on a weekly basis. And the, and the reason that job came about was I was, at that time, uh, teaching a course called uh, 
meaningful strategies for microbial investigations or, or sampling or something like that anyway. And it was a very interesting course. It's a three-day course. Uh, had nothing to do with a test afterwards. It just had to do with, you know, how should you sample, why you should sample, and when you should sample, and all the strategies that you would use. And it was very uh, uh, interactive because I would usually start out saying something uh, about every three or four minutes in, in doing the presentation that somebody in the class, and I, I limited them to 30, somebody in the class would challenge it in some way. And then it would be like a class discussion for two or three minutes. Oh, that's great, though. So, and, so it was a lot of... And, yeah. And so then we would move on. And so I get this call from one of the people who had taken that class from me previously saying, uh, we need you in Yuma. And I'm going, I'm in class. And it goes, you don't understand. We need you in Yuma. We need you now. And I said, well, I'll call you at the end of the class. And so I called them back and they said, how fast can you get here? And I said, fastest way there. I mean, it's like five and a half hours. I, I can charter a plane. They go, charter the plane. We'll cover the expenses. And I said, okay, fine. And so that started that whole realm back and forth to the criminals. You should have chartered a Learjet, though. You know, that's the. <laughs> yeah, I should have. I should have. And so Bob Bob had this uh, constant laugh going on because the uh, the sports team at that particular school was called the Criminals. That's right. And my, my wife would laugh at it. She goes, so who wants their kid to play football and they're called a criminal <laughs> in high school? But yeah. anyway, that, that's what they were called. because was, that Yeah, was, and they had big banners everywhere saying criminal yep. football. Yep. Which yep. <laughs> seemed a little and, odd. Well, background of that, it was that was the first prison in Arizona. It was down in Yuma. Right. So, but so. Are they still another, criminals, by the way? Oh, yeah. They yep, kept, still wow, are. That's an interesting so, uh, name. On another one of those flights coming back with a 173, um, we lost power uh, on everything except the Magneto. And uh, we were almost to the airport, not quite, but almost. Sun was setting behind us. It was getting dark. We have no communication. We have no lights. We have, we have no gear that you can let down. We have no no electrical at all. All we right. got is the magneto. So you're, you're, that's right. Your gear's up. Yeah. We have, only thing I have is a magneto that runs the engine. Right. You know, and so uh, with that, the the pilot reached down and and I mean I know a little bit about flying, and so he reaches down and starts pumping, and I yell at him. You know, my son was in the in the front seat beside him. I said, "Let him pump." You know, 50 pumps is what you need. Let him do the pumping. Man, this guy would not let go of that that pump handle. For the and landing gear. For the landing gear. And he gets a pump down. And, of course, there's nothing on the dash that says it's locked. So you don't know where the gear is down or the gear isn't down. Oh, you don't that's know right. You, can't, you don't know what. Yeah, it's not like you have a camera under there. You don't know yeah. if they're down. You don't know. You certainly don't know if they're locked. You may you you can assume know. they're down, but. So the sun is behind us. The setting sun is behind us. And it's just, just enough to cast a shadow. And this guy, I'll never forget the pilot was from uh, South America. Uh, this pilot came in and the minute he saw the shadow of the front gear down, and we were probably a good six to eight foot off the ground. He just dumped it and we hit bounced. And, and, 
And you know, you always hear that old joke about to get off and kiss the ground. He actually did. He he got he got oh, off yeah. the plane and the pilot kissed the ground because yeah. it was to him, I guess it was probably the scariest thing you'd ever had. Well, I mean, you're coming into a major one of the larger airports <laughs> in the United States <laughs> without communication. And, and no instrumentation. This is not a yeah. good thing. And on a little aircraft, this is a, an yeah. airport that has big air, big jet, air, you know, commercial jetliners coming in and out. To notify the airport, so there's no communications. To notify the airport, he deliberately did real tight spirals down and went back up, and another tight spiral down, so that the so airport flight control would see it. Would, so they would see him, <laughs> and then they could make the others stay out of the out of the pathway of our coming in. That, that's how you communicate was these oh, tight spirals, man. which is unsettling to your stomach. Let's you think? Yeah. Well, I oh, mean, the yeah. whole, <laughs> whole experience is kind of unsettling. Yeah. I mean, so, hanging out of the an aircraft at 5,000 feet is unsettling to your stomach when you're not planning on it. Yeah. So, you, <laughs> so, you know, I was like, yeah. I, I, honestly, that, be, you know, it's funny that, like, I don't know if that's one of your most memorable you know, trips with a project for me, that's still like, that's at the, almost the top. I mean, I've had a couple other weird things, but that was right up there. Well, it was, uh, it was interesting to say the least. It really was. It was looking back. It was fun. Oh, I you mean, know why? It, it was great. Yeah, it was a great time. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, we, we, you know, yeah, we've known each other for 30 years now and we're coming up yeah. on 30. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been an interesting ride, sir. Yes, it has. So, uh, so what's your, what's your, I, I got to ask you, you know, so you're, you have a less active role, but you're still involved with AC. ACAC. I'm, I'm still involved. Uh, I still attend the Monday, Monday morning meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, I still uh, guide uh, gently. <laughs> Say, yeah, I don't know if I would do that or yeah. Yeah. That, and by the way, here's a great marketing idea. Why don't we consider doing this? Uh, and so, We've developed some things as we've gone along that, uh, uh, frankly, is while following accreditation guidelines, uh, they're a little unique. And uh, one of them that I had mentioned to you earlier was the the uh, ACAC Live uh, program that we have, where people can do their their CEUs uh, by reading a document or listening audio, a document, or by a video. And then embedded in those three will be a six-digit uh, uh, code. And they report that six-digit code, code back to us. And then we know that they have did that many hours of, uh, of continuing education. And there's just really no limit on the things that they can do because as you and I both know when you take those asbestos courses and you start doing the refreshers, they get very boring. ACAC's attitude, and it's my attitude from the very beginning, is you know anything that is educational should be a continuing education thing. So short of underwater basket weaving, uh, if you want to do one on marketing, find one of those courses on marketing there or go to somebody else's course we just want you to report back the need you know things necessary for us to document that you've done it so uh basically the course name and the amount of hours and and something that 
says, yeah, here's the receipt for the course or something of that nature. So yeah, well, we're, there's, we're there's certainly more there's certainly more value in that though. You know, we spoke about that in the pre-show. It's the same thing. It's like, you know, like these asbestos and, and a lot of the mold licensure programs are this, you know, the, the states that implement those mandate the same refresher course every time, every two years. You're taking the same stinking class, the same not I mean not nonsense, but it's you know, after you've taken it like several times, it's gonna get pretty old. Yeah. Let's let's put it this way: after two or three of them, you don't need refreshed. <laughs> well, well, you're not you're being refreshed. You're not really being refreshed. You're not. That's yeah. the thing. If you're not giving somebody something new, you're, it, I, and I guess that's what it is. They use the term refresher where it really should yeah. be continuing education. Yeah. Yeah. If, you see, so, if you're taught the same thing every two years, there's nothing continuing about your education. <laughs> so we basically have the attitude that you know, if you think you need a marketing course. Uh, Fine, we'll give you credit for taking a marketing course. If you want to go to a conference and and you can document it. So it's all about, you know, we have to document mm -hmm. it. And that, that's part of our accreditation is, you know, we're required to have you uh, document it. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, accreditation uh, by a third party is very expensive. Uh, it's, it's extremely expensive. And so while people think, oh, yeah, you just apply for it and you get it. That's true with lots of money. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so no, we, I mean, it, it's yeah. not a simple process. It's yeah. not a simple process at all. I, I, I appreciate just, you know, the whole, just, just the, the deliberate efforts you have to put into just making a fair exam for a certification exam. That's a monstrous task. That's, that's a lot. And probably when you talk with Adam, he can go over mm -hmm. lots of details because frankly, he can do, he can do it all when it comes to uh, psychometrics. Right. Uh, which. It's yeah. kind of important. It's, yeah. And people need to understand psychometrics and psychometrics are two different things. Exactly. One's moisture, you know, and, yeah. and, one, and one is actually validating the, uh, the, the uh, you know, the, uh, the learning effect or whatever, the uh, validation of uh, an exam question. Right. Kind of important if you're going to have a fair exam. So and what, our and and we have to reaccredit every year. So it isn't like you know you get it and you're done. We reaccredit every year. It's required. So, um, you know, we're, we're getting toward the wind down point here, Charlie, but one of the things I, you know, again, you, you've got, you've had such a long career in this industry. I'd love to get at least, you know, in like, a, just a brief thought of the IQ industry, uh, you know, your perspective, you know, perspectives, because there's probably have more than one on it. Um, you know, maybe where we were and where we're going and what's, you know, like, what are your thoughts about it? You, you've been riding this, this train for quite a while. Well, you know, as uh, as probably most people know, mold's been around as long as Leviticus in the Bible, and uh, and so I don't see it changing a whole lot. What I see happening is, I see uh, I, I see our science getting better and better, and I see it getting better on the sampling side. I see it getting better on the uh, identification side, and I certainly see it better on the on the health side. Uh, and so, the other thing is, I I think we're going to, as we go along, we're going to see more people become more entrenched in in doing indoor air quality specifically than what we've had in the past, and and more specialized, uh, just like the medical community has gotten more specialized, which is why we have so many uh, certifications. And I know people used to go, well, how many have they got, you know, et cetera. Well, if this is your specialty, 
this is what you ought to be able to put behind your name when you're writing that report. And, uh, and it should have meaning. And so I know myself, I used to, when I was doing investigations, I chose the three that I held uh, and put them behind. And usually one of my three in all the time was I was a certified forensic examiner uh, for engineering, by the way, not, not for medical. Uh, and so where do I see it going? I think it's just going to continue much like it has, except uh, it's just it's going to be more and more virtual as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no <clears throat> there's no substitute for a face to face conference. There just isn't any, and it's because of the networking that's involved. Right, face-to-face. right. You can you can but, you can teach and have class, you know, lectures and all that stuff yeah. remotely. But you're right, you don't have that interaction at at the restaurant, at the at the bar after yeah. you know, in the lounge. Yeah. Yep. And, and so like while that. that may seem to be uh, um, just a perk for being able to go to conferences, to go to a bar afterwards and, and you know, buddy with your friends, the real reason they do that, and, and, and everybody knows when you do that, is you talk about your business. And when you're talking about your business, you're also sharing uh, information that they may not have uh, realized that. You could do this or that's doable. And so uh, where do I see it going? I, I see conferences continuing as long as we can do such a thing, meaning no more uh, pandemics. Uh, but virtual is is really where everything's going to be at as far as the, the major teaching part of it. Yeah, I, I would concur. You know, and, and again, you know, you've always been on the cutting edge, at least I thought leader in a lot of, you know, you know, creating systems, you know, you know, organizationally, just, just how the certifications were done. You know, you, you took more of an engineering, more professional, it, it's not professional licensure, but following more of that pathway, you know, things that are actually board certified and really, you know, it's something that's more meaningful than, Hey, you sign up for some online class, you know, you, you go through it, you take, you know, you answer a multiple choice test, a couple of things, and then, you know, you got a certificate. Yeah. And we've done uh, proctoring in all ways and shapes. And mm-hmm. I, think, right. I think we're one of the first to do proctoring uh, from your office or your home because it literally, you are proctoring. Just like you and I are talking with each other. We have a proctor watching you right. as you're doing this. And, I had to do uh, that. And, I did that for, yeah. with one of your exams years ago. So I got yeah. to experience it and, and it was and, amazing. I mean, you really... And, and it's if you cool. screw up, if you screw up, they're going to lock down your computer. Oh, I some, yeah, yeah. You could see what windows, you know, they're monitoring your windows. They have a microphone mm-hmm. and they make you have a webcam yep. off the desk watching you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what you're up to. It's yep. like, so, that's, so, you know, that's as secure as being in a room with a proctor. It really is. Maybe more so because all your movements are recorded. <laughs> yeah. So the changes coming in the future are going to be science and technology uh, and uh, other than that, it, it's just going to keep evolving. However, there's not much new about mold. Yeah, well, was, I mean, honestly, yeah. I think the, the stuff that's new is the way we're going to, you know, design and maintain our built environments and how we're going to assess and monitor the conditions. You know, it's like, I mean, that's really, that's where it changes. Just one more note. When we started out and we created the uh, council certified microbial, there's your key word, uh, investigator, consultant, whatever. At that particular time, we looked at the fact that we think that that bacterial 
issues will come along and they will be part of this industry. Uh, so not just mold. We got a lot of criticism for criticism for not calling it a mold certification. It's a microbial certification. And I've explained to people real quickly. Part of that is because you are are doing uh, a remediation that was black water to, to right. use industry, industry terms. And that is uh, that is bacterial, sure. not necessarily microbial. And so, yeah, one of the things I see in the future is the uh, bacterial parts going to come into play more and more and more. And if you cannot describe gram negative bacteria to me, you better start learning what it's all about. You know, well, I mean, that that was the case, though, when I came on board with you and your team uh, for the CERF, is a CMRS, because it was, you know, there were all there were a couple of other non board certified, you know, mold, you know, contractor courses, they were mold. And yeah, and that was remember, I mean, it was 2000. Yeah. You know, that was right when we started that discussion of it's microbial because it's bacterial. Yep. You know, made, made total sense. And to this day, I, you know, ever since we, I was in that room with you guys in Phoenix, I think we were at Aerotech labs having that initial meeting in, in their conference room. And uh, yeah, that's there. I've never shied away from that ever since that day talking in terms of microbial. And yep. I think like mold licensing drives me crazy. What I have to teach the mold license refresher for New York. It's like, you realize, you know, you get in there, you get all these people in there. You, you realize that you got to, worry about bacteria mm -hmm. and i'm doing a whole section on bacteria in the mold license class because mm -hmm. come on you know you, you should can, you should be yeah you, know. you need the knowledge yeah yeah oh my goodness well you know i think we're over time now charlie yeah we're a little bit yep. over time um this is fantastic i am so happy you took time uh to jump on with me and, and do this show um it's great seeing you again you know at least virtually i mean i, I we, we got to get together. You know, one of us got across the country, so I guess I'll have to come out your way. And I do love yeah, the probably. Southwest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you could drive, but I, that, that's asking a lot. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. Um, you know, you really, you know, I just got to say this. You, you, have, you have had my experiences with you have had a profound impact on what I've done in my career. I really do mean this. And I want to yeah. thank you. You know, for all, all the encouragement that you gave me over the years, especially back in more of my formative days, um, it, it's appreciated. Okay. You know, but, it was you know, my pleasure. yeah, you know what? It's a ple pleasure to know you, man. Okay. <laughs> it really Thank is. You. So, here, uh, you know, um, so uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to be back again next week. Um, you know, again with, uh, another show for healthy indoors, uh, live show. Um, again, Thursdays, one to 2 PM, uh, you can, you can watch our program live or you can catch us anytime. All the recordings, all the back, uh, back episodes on the healthy indoors online global community. indoors um stay healthy stay safe and uh we'll see you soon <laughs>